ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله so continue kitab al-siyam inshallah we'll try to finish it soon in the next two or three lessons uh, we were in the section when we were discussing the days that are not permissible to fast certain days which the sunnah has mentioned that it is not permissible to fast them or some of the rulings regarding those types of fasts and those types of days so continuing from that now we have the next hadith وَعَنِ السَّمَّاءِ بِنْتِ بُصْرِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَالْ لَا تَسُومُوا يَوْمَ السَّبْتِ إِلَّا فِي مَفْتُرِذَ عَلَيْكُمْ فَإِنْ لَمْ يَجِدْ أَحَدُكُمْ إِلَّا لِحَاءَ عِنَبْ أَوْ عُودَ شَجَرَ فَلْيَمْضَغْهَا رواه الخمسة ورجال ثقات له إلا أنه مضطرب In this hadith of al-sammah the daughter of Busr, radiallahu anha, she says that the Prophet said, do not fast Saturday. Do not fast on Saturdays, except for that which has been made obligatory upon you. Except for those days that have been made obligatory, don't fast on Saturdays. The days that have been made obligatory, obviously, Ramadan. Within Ramadan, in the month of Ramadan, obviously you must fast Saturdays. But that's what the hadith says. Except for the days that have been made obligatory, then don't fast Saturdays. And even if one of you cannot find anything other than uh, like the bark of a tree or like the skin of a grape, i.e. something even very minute, something, as long as you can find something, then eat it so that you are not fasting on that day. So this hadith seems to indicate that it is not permissible to fast on Saturdays except in Ramadan. That's what this hadith seems to indicate. And this is the opinion that some of the scholars have taken. Here though, Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, hafizahullah ta'ala, does not take that opinion. And he explains why it is actually okay to fast on Saturdays. Here, a Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan explains why it is okay to fast on Saturdays, even though, like we say, there are scholars who have given strong evidences to prove that fasting on Saturdays is not correct. However, in this explanation now, Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, because we want to keep it brief and we don't want to go into all of the differences and the evidences, etc. Here, the Sheikh, he gives... Three explanations to this hadith. The first of them is that this particular hadith, and these are from the group of scholars who say that fasting Saturdays is okay. So how do they respond to this hadith? Firstly, they say that the hadith, it is muttarab. Meaning that it has confusion within it. What is the confusion which is within this hadith? The confusion is who is the actual narrator of this hadith? Because sometimes you find that this hadith is narrated by As-Samma, the daughter of Busr. Sometimes you find that it is narrated by her brother Abdullah ibn Busr. In some narrations you find that this hadith is An Abdullah ibn Busr. And in some narrations you find that this hadith is by their father, Busr himself. Anhu. 
So there is a difference between who actually narrated the hadith. Sometimes you find it's Asamma, radiallahu anha. Sometimes it's her brother, Abdullah. Sometimes it's the father, Busa, radiallahu anhum. So that's why some of the scholars have said that this hadith, there is some confusion within it. How can we take this to be an authentic hadith when there's this confusion? Sometimes they say that it was such and such who narrated it. Sometimes they say it was such and such who narrated it. Sometimes they say it was such and such who narrated it. And it's all one same hadith. It's not possible that these several different companions on several different occasions narrated it. That's a different issue. But in this occasion, it's all one single point. But apparently there were three different narrators. So which one did narrate it? We don't know. That's what some of the scholars say. So they say there's confusion around who the narrator of the hadith actually is. Which therefore puts doubt onto the authenticity of the hadith. That's one response that they give. Another response some of the scholars give to this hadith, the likes of Imam Abu Dawood, they say that the hadith is authentic. Or even if it is authentic, they say that the hadith has been abrogated. That yes, originally maybe Saturdays were not allowed to fast on, but then afterwards it was abrogated and it was allowed to fast on Saturdays. What's the hadith that abrogated it? That is going to come next. There's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ used to fast on Saturdays and Sundays. So Abu Dawood, Imam Abu Dawood, Rahimahullah and others, they say that hadith where the Prophet ﷺ used to fast on Saturdays and Sundays, that abrogates this hadith which says that you're not allowed to fast on Saturdays. Then there's a third response that some of the scholars gave, the likes of Imam Malik. They said that this hadith... It is munkar. Again, that's within the sciences of hadith, but basically the bottom ruling being that this hadith is opposing other authentic narrations that say you can fast on a Saturday. So therefore, because of the opposition of this hadith to many other authentic narrations that say you can fast on a Saturday, some of the scholars like Imam Malik said this hadith is not uh, acceptable in that regard. So these are some of the responses the scholars gave who believe that it is permissible to fast on Saturdays. But there are other scholars, and inshallah at some point if we have time to go into the details of those other explanations, then they have said that in actual fact, this is established in the sunnah that you should not fast on Saturdays other than the obligatory Ramadan fasts. Uh, Also something that Sheikh Saleh al-Fawzan mentions with regards to this hadith, something to back up the opinion that it is not permissible to fast, or rather, something to back up the opinion that it is permissible to fast on Saturdays. He said, this hadith, it says, don't fast on Saturdays except for the obligatory days. If you find yourself on a Saturday, and you haven't eaten anything, then even if it's the bark of a tree, or the the skin of a grape, or anything, anything that you can find just... Suck on it, so that at least you've eaten something, so you're not fasting on Saturday. To that level. But the scholars, some of them, they mention, like Sheikh Saleh al-Fawzan here, he says, you don't have to be, you don't have to find food to break your fast. With your intention, you could break your fast. If a person doesn't have the intention of fasting, then he's not fasting. So the Sheikh says, why does the hadith mention that you have to go find something to eat to make sure you're not fasting? Because even your intention you can break your fast with. As long as your intention in your heart says, I'm not fasting, then you're not fasting. Even if you haven't eaten anything all day. 
So again, the Shaykh says the hadith seems strange that this is mentioned within it. So for these types of reasons, some of the scholars, they say that actually it is okay to fast on Saturdays. But like we say, inshallah, if we find time to come back to it, we'll explain the evidences from the other angle where the scholars, they say that no, actually it's correct and you shouldn't fast on Saturdays. The hadith that Imam Abu Dawood, rahimahullah, used to say that this hadith is abrogated is the hadith of Umm Salama radiyallahu anha, which is the next hadith in Bulugh al-Maram. Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana akthara ma yasumu min al-ayyami yawm al-sabt wa yawm al-ahad. Wa kana yaqul innahuma yawma aidin lil-mushrikeen. Wa ana uridu an ukhalifahum. In this hadith of Umm Salama radiyallahu anha, she says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to fast the most on Saturdays and Sundays. <coughs> he used to fast the most on Saturdays and Sundays. And he used to say that these two are days of celebration for the mushrikeen and I want to oppose them. I want to oppose the mushrikeen in their celebrations on these two days and fast. Al-Imam Abu Dawood says that this hadith is authentic and he says this hadith, it abrogates the other hadith which says that you cannot fast on Saturdays. Because here in this one it clearly says that the Prophet ﷺ used to fast on Saturdays and Sundays. In fact, he used to fast the most on Saturdays and Sundays. Why Saturdays and Sundays then? Upon the basis that the hadith is authentic, then why Saturdays and Sundays? To oppose the Jews and the Christians as the Prophet ﷺ says. Because they used to take those two days as days of holiday. So the Jews, they take the Saturday, the Sabbath, as a day of holiday. And the Christians, they take a Sunday as a day of holiday. Whereas in reality, the day of the weekly Eid, the weekly Eid is the Friday. That is the day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided the Muslims to. And as for the Christians and Jews, they were diverted away from the Friday. And instead they were taken to the Saturday and the Sunday. As for the Jews, then they chose Saturday because they say that is the day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finished the creation of the heavens and the earth. Allah finished the creation of the heavens and the earth. And so they take that day of Saturday as the day of celebration. Because as it's mentioned in the Quran, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the heavens and the earth in six days. That began on a Sunday. So Sunday... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Friday would be the sixth day and then Saturday is the seventh day. So they say that Saturday was the day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rested in. They say that was the day of rest. Allah made the day, uh, heavens and the earth in six days. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, six days. And then Saturday they say that was the day of rest. So they say we take that day as a day of holiday and that is complete and utter incomplete or uh, incorrect statement and uh, to be made against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is refuted in the Quran. Allah refuted that in the Quran. He refuted this and rejected this claim of theirs that Allah rested. That Allah after having created the heavens and the earth took a day to rest. That is nonsense. Allah mentioned that in the Quran that this is not correct. In Surah Qaf, ayah number 38, Allah said, وَلَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامِ وَمَا مَسَّنَا مِنْ لُغُوبِ 
that we indeed created the heavens and the earth and everything in between them. All of that we created it in six days. وَمَا مَسَّنَا مِنْ لغوب. And no tiredness overcame us. There was no tiredness, there was no weakness after having created the heavens and the earth and everything in between them. Allah says, there was no tiredness. Allah didn't get tired, He didn't need to take a day to rest. That is the lie and the deficiency that the Jews, they place upon the Creator. So Allah refutes that. There was no such thing as tiredness. Allah, the Creator, the Mighty, the Majestic. So that was a refutation of the Jews in the Qur'an, that Allah took a day to rest. That is not correct. But the Jews, they were misguided and they believed that, and they took the Saturday as a day of rest and as a day of celebration. Then the Jew, the uh, Christians, they took the Sunday as a day of celebration, as their weekly holiday. And the reason why they took Sunday was because they said that was the day Allah began the creation of the heavens and the earth. Allah began the creation of the heavens and the earth on a Sunday. So they say we take the Sunday as a day of celebration because that is the day that Allah began the creation of the heavens and the earth in, on the Sunday. Again, this is something that they have invented from their own selves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never legislated the Sunday to be a day of celebration. This was something that they invented themselves. Rather, the day, the blessed day is the Friday. The Friday that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided the believers towards. The Friday that Allah guided the believers to be, to take as the Eid of the week, as the holiday of the week, as the celebration of the week. Not the Saturday or the Sunday. And it's mentioned that there are many things that occur on the Friday. Uh, so on the Friday, it is mentioned, uh, On the Friday was the day that the completion of creation occurred. And that was the final day of the creation, as we mentioned, beginning on Sunday and ending on a Friday. Allah created the heavens and the earth. Uh, in that day on a Friday, Adam salam was created. On the day of Friday, he was entered into paradise. That was the day he also exited from paradise. That is the day that the day of judgment will be established upon on a Friday. So there are many things that will occur on a Friday and that have already occurred on a Friday. And that is the uh, reason why the Muslims were guided towards the Friday, whereas the Christians and Jews were misguided and they took the Saturday and the Sunday. So the Prophet ﷺ liked to oppose the people of the book. He liked to oppose the Christians and the Jews in their worship. Not to be like them and to be similar to them, but to oppose them. So he did not wish to participate with them in their days of celebration. And that's why Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan says, it is not permissible for a Muslim to participate with the disbelievers in their days of celebration. When disbelievers have days of celebration, and they have lots of days of celebration. They have lots of days that they take as holidays and celebratory days. Then it is not permissible for a Muslim to participate in those days of celebration that the kuffar that they have, uh, and to eat and to drink with them, or to accept food from them on their days of celebration. Not to participate or to congratulate them. None of that is permissible for a Muslim to do. To participate with them or to eat their food on their days of celebration that they've made. Food that they've made for their days of celebration, you're not to eat from that food. And you're not to congratulate them on their days. And you're not to participate with them. That is their days of celebration which are false that they've made themselves and Allah has not decreed. So it is not permissible for a believer to engage in that. And Allah stated that in the Quran. وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَشْهَدُونَ الزُّورِ 
That is mentioned about the believers that they do not participate and testify to this falsehood. And by you congratulating them and participating with them, you are affirming their falsehood. So that is not something permissible for a believer to do. Rather, a person should distance himself from their celebrations. To the extent the shaykh even says, that if you can, depending on the type of work that you do, then you shouldn't take Saturday and Sunday as your holiday. Especially people who are self-employed, etc. If it is possible for you in the line of business you're in and the work that you do, to not take Saturday and Sunday as your holiday, to take Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or any other day, if you can do that, then the shaykh says, that's good, oppose them. Don't work in their routine Monday to Friday and then take the Saturday and Sunday off with them. If you are able, obviously for many people it's not possible because of their line of work, but if you are able and it's your choice and your freedom in how you do your work and your business, then the shaykh says, it's good, work Saturday and Sunday and take some other days off, oppose them. Don't take your days off with them in line with them, if possible of course. So that is with regards to this, that the Prophet ﷺ, he used to fast on those days to oppose the Jews and the Christians in that affair. And that is the hadith that Imam Abu Dawud says is the abrogator for the other hadith, that it is not permissible to fast on Saturdays, based upon that opinion. Then we have the next hadith. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم نهى عن صوم يوم عرفة بعرفة رواه الخمسة غير الترمذي وصححه ابن خزيمة والحاكم واستنكره العقيلي um, In this hadith, Abu Huraira narrates that the Prophet ﷺ prohibited fasting on the day of عرفة if you are in عرفة And we already mentioned that before that on the day of عرفة it is sunnah to fast and your sins for the previous year are forgiven and the next year are forgiven. Except if you are actually in Arafah doing Hajj. In that case, you are not supposed to fast. And it's mentioned about the Prophet ﷺ on that day. The companions were wondering, is he fasting or not? So then it's mentioned how uh, the milk was brought to him and he drank that in front of everyone where Ummul Fadl radiallahu anha brought the milk to him and he drank it in front of everyone to show them that on the day of Arafah he's not fasting. And that is what the person should do if he's in Hajj, he is upon the pilgrimage, it is not correct for him to fast on the day of Arafah. Because on that day he needs his energy to be able to fulfill the rites of Hajj and the, the uh, rituals of Hajj, you need energy. It's not befitting to be fasting on that day, especially with the heat etc. And you have to stand in Arafah, spend the whole day there, it's difficult. So it's not befitting for a person to fast when you're in the Hajj and Arafah, but for the people who are not in Hajj, they are not doing Hajj for them, it is Sunnah to fast the day of Arafah. Even though the scholars have said that this particular hadith itself isn't authentic. The hadith, some of the scholars, they say it's not authentic, that the Prophet ﷺ forbade the people of Arafah not to fast. But even if it's not, we already know from the action of the Prophet ﷺ himself, the hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari. When the milk was brought to him and he drank in front of everyone. So with certainty we have a narration that tells you you're not supposed to fast on Arafah even if this particular narration isn't authentic. There are other narrations that clearly prove fasting on Arafah when you are in Arafah doing your hajj is not something permissible or is not something which is recommended. After that, وعن عبد الله ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا صام من صام الأبد متفق عليه 
ولمسلم عن أبي قتادة بلفظ لا صام ولا أفضر This hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr radiyallahu anhuma he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said the one who fasts continually all the time every day then it's as if he hasn't fasted and in the narration of Muslim he says it's as if he hasn't fasted and at the same time it's as if he hasn't uh, been eating it's as if he's done nothing what's the meaning of this we'll come to it now in this hadith then it says the one who fasts continually continuously fasts all year around whoever fasts every single day the whole year صام الأبد أو صام الدهر كما في الرواية الأخرى وقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا صام قيل إنه دعاء من الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم عليه so the person who fasts every single day the whole year he fasts every single day opens his fast at Maghrib gets up at Suhoor fasts again opens his fast at Maghrib gets up at Suhoor fasts again every single day of the full year then in this hadith the Prophet says لا صام then it's as if he hasn't fasted some of the scholars said this is like a dua from the Prophet ﷺ against that person. And the fact that the Prophet ﷺ is making a dua against that action indicates that it is haram. Why else would the Prophet ﷺ make dua against him? For somebody who fasts every single day. The fact that the Prophet ﷺ has made dua against him indicates that the action is impermissible. And some of the scholars have said that it's not a dua of the Prophet ﷺ against him, it's informational. It's informational. The Prophet ﷺ is telling us it's informative that that person, he hasn't fasted. إِخْبَارٌ فِي أَنَّهُ يُصْبِحُ صِيَامُهُ كَلَا صِيَامُ Meaning that a person who fasts every single day of the year, he gets up and he has his suhoor and he fasts for the day. But it's as if he's not really fasting. How? أَمَّا مَنْ اعْتَادَ شَيْءٌ وَصَارَ مَأْلُوفًا لَهُ فَهَذَا لَا يَنَالُهُ مَشَقَّةً يُصْبِحُ أَمْرًا عَادِيًّا عِنْدَهُ فَلَا يَكُونُ لَهُ ثَوَابٌ كَمَا قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَنْ رَبِّهِ الصَّوْمُ لِي وَأَنَا أُجْزِي بِهِ يَدْعُو شَهْوَتَهُ وَأَكْلَهُ وَشَرْبَهُ مِنْ أَجْلِي Some of the scholars said the reason being why it's as if he's not really fasting then is because somebody who fasts every single day of the year eventually is going to get to a point where he doesn't even feel anything it's going to become a habit He's not going to even feel hunger or anything. It's just going to be the norm for him. So when it becomes the norm and he doesn't feel any hunger, he doesn't feel any difficulty, then it's just become a habit for him now. It's become a norm for him, a habit. The, the, the point of fasting or one of the parts of fasting which is to feel that difficulty and to recognize that hunger, he doesn't have that anymore. So for that reason, the scholar said there's no reward for him anymore. It's become a habitual action, a normal action a habit that he just does now, so there's no reward for him anymore. Whereas in reality, a person who fasts, then it's somebody who finds difficulty in that and recognizes his weakness in front of Allah. But somebody does that out of habit all the time and gets completely used to it, then they say there's no reward for that. 
That's one opinion some of the scholars have mentioned. فَالسِّرْ فِي السِّيَامِ أَنَّ الْمُسْلِمِ يَتْرُكُ مَا تَتُوقُ نَفْسُهُ إِلَيْهِ وَيَحْتَاجُهُ مِنَ الْتَعَامُ وَالشَّرَابِ The point of fasting or one of the secrets behind fasting is that a person leaves those things that his soul desires, food and drink and uh, of other marital uh, types of desires, that a person leaves all of those. But if a person fasts every day and he just gets used to it, then... There's no difficulty in him, there's no test in him leaving those things anymore. So a person who gets used to that, then it's as if he's not really fasting, he's just become a habit for him now. So that's why some of the scholars said, well, fast every single day, then that's not correct. A person shouldn't be doing it because of this dua of the Prophet against him, or at the very least, this information from him, that this person isn't going to get reward because it's become a habit for him. وَعَبْدُلَّهُ بْنُ عَمَرَ بْنُ الْعَاصِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا لَمَّا أَرَادَ أَنْ يَسُومَ وَيَسْتَمِرَ فِي الصِّيَامِ نَهَاهُ سَأَسْلَمْ عَنْ ذَلِكَ قَالَ لَوْ سُمْتَ ثَلَاثَةَ أَيَامٍ مِنْ كُلِّ شَهْرٍ قَالَ إِنِّي أَسْتَطِيعُ أَكْثَرَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ فَمَا زَالَ مِسْتَسْلَمْ يَنْقُلُهُ مِنْ حَالَةِ إلَى حَالَةِ وَهُوَ يَقُولُ أَنَا أَسْتَطِيعُ أَكْثَرَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ أَوْ أُرِيدُ أَفْضَلَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ إلَى أَنْ قَالَ سُمْ يَوْمًا وَأَفْطِرْ يَوْمًا كَمَا كَانَ دَاوُدُ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ قَالَ أُرِيدُ أَفْضَلَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ قَالَ سَأَسْلَمْ لَا أَفْضَلَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Aas radiallahu anhu he wanted to fast continually every day so the Prophet ﷺ forbade him from that he said no not every single day in Ramadan obviously but outside of Ramadan he said no not every single day he said to him fast three days of every month like the hadith that we already did where you fast three days of every month Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Aas radiallahu anhu he said I can do more than that so the Prophet ﷺ gave him some more extra days that you can fast from the sunnah. He said, I can do more than that. He gave him some more extra days. He said, I can do more than that. Up until finally the Prophet ﷺ said to him, in that case, fast one day, leave one day. Fast one day, leave one day. Fast one day, leave one day. Alternate. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As said, even that. I can do even more than that. Alternate, do one, miss one, do one, miss one. Okay, you, you know, in that way, if you did that for the whole of the year, you'll have a lot of optional fasts. You'll have a lot of fasts that you've done which are optional ones. Every other day you're fasting. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As radiallahu anhu said, I can do even more than that. The Prophet said to him, the hadith in Al-Bukhari a Muslim, he said, there is nothing better than that. That's the most. If you want to do a lot of fasting, that's the most. Fast one day, leave one day. Fast one day, leave one day. That way you'll be fasting plenty of days, half of the week, every week. Fast one, miss one. Fast one, miss one. He said, that's the maximum you can do. There is nothing better than that. Do that as Dawood used to do. So that is the maximum a person should do. Similarly, you have the hadith of the three people who came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. وَغُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ ذَنْبِهِ وَمَا تَأَخَّرَ يعني كأنه قلل العمل لأنه ليس بحاجة إليه لأنه غفر له ما تقدم من ذنبه وما تأخر هذا رأيهم فلما علم نفسه سلم بمجيئهم ومقالتهم قال أنتم الذين قلتم كذا وكذا أما والله إني أما والله إني لأخشاكم الله وأتقاكم له وَإِنِّي لَأَسُومُ وَأُفْطِرْ وَأُصَلِّ وَأَنَامُ وَأَتَزَوَّجُ النِّسَاءِ فَمَنْ رَغِبَ عَنْ سُنَّةِ فَلَيْسَ مِنِّي Hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim where three people came and 
they were asking about the worship of the Prophet ﷺ. How does the Prophet ﷺ do his obedience? So when they were told, they thought that maybe the Prophet ﷺ only does a little bit of worship. They thought that the worship the Prophet does isn't that much. But why? They thought maybe the Prophet ﷺ doesn't do that much worship because all of his sins have been forgiven anyway. The Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, the seal of the Prophets. His past sins have been forgiven, his future sins have been forgiven. So they said, maybe that's why the Prophet ﷺ doesn't do that much worship. They said, as for us, one of them said, I'm going to fast every day. One of them said, I'm going to stay up the whole night, every night of the year, praying. I'm not going to sleep at night. One of them said, I'm never going to get married, just concentrate on worship. They said, we know the Prophet ﷺ doesn't do that, they were told. But they said, maybe the Prophet ﷺ doesn't do that because he knows his sins have been forgiven anyway. As for us, we need to do more. But when the Prophet ﷺ was told about that, that they are saying, and one of them saying, I'm going to pray all night, every night. One of them saying, I'm going to fast every day. One of them saying, I'm never going to get married. In one narration, I believe it even says, one of them says, I'm not going to eat meat. But in these narrations now, the Prophet ﷺ got angry. He said, no. He said, I am the most fearful of Allah from all of you. I fear Allah the most from all of you. I have more piety to Allah than all of you. But still, despite that, I pray and I go to sleep at night too. I pray for a part of the night and I go to sleep for a part of the night. I fast and I also take some days when I don't fast. I worship Allah but at the same time I also get married. So you have a mix between this, the middle path. You don't go into exaggeration. And here the Prophet ﷺ explained to them there is no exaggeration in worship. The middle path. You pray, you can go to sleep. You fast, you take some days off. You can get married and at the same time you can still worship Allah. You have the middle path in worship. So here the point being that the Prophet ﷺ, he told them you shouldn't fast all year. But rather you can fast one day and you can miss one day. And that is the best type of fasting that can be done. It is the middle path. And it is not permissible to go beyond that and over and above that. So that is with regards to certain types of fasting which is not allowed and certain types of days that are not allowed to be done. After that, the final section in the chapter of fasting, which we'll complete inshallah, and then we'll move back to the section that we were on. Uh, the final section within fasting is the section about i'tikaf, and the taraweeh about the i'tikaf and the taraweeh and this is the final few hadith in this chapter and that will be the chapter of fasting completed from Bulugh al-Maram in that case so babul i'tikaf wa qiyamu ramadan the chapter of i'tikaf and the taraweeh the praying of the tahajjud and the night prayers in Ramadan لما فرغ من إيراد الأحاديث المتعلقة بصيام رمضان وصيام تطوع ناصب أن يذكر بعدها الأحاديث المتعلقة بقيام رمضان والاعتكاف. أشك صالح الفوزان حفظه الله says that now الحافظ ابن حجر has mentioned the hadith about fasting and about the optional fasting and what's not allowed etc. So it's befitting now to mention the issues of اعتكاف and the issues of تراويح. Also it's befitting to mention it obviously alongside the issue of fasting and رمضان. Because that is something that is within Ramadan. Praying the taraweeh and the prayers and doing the i'tikaf. That is something that the worship or types of worship that are done in the month of Ramadan. Obviously, here now the Shaykh is going to mention 
Al-Hafidh ibn Hajr is going to mention certain ahadith which are linked to that topic. But firstly, uh, Al-Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan explains what the meaning of i'tikaf is. What is i'tikaf? معناه في اللغة لزوم الشيء والمكث فيه. Linguistically in Arabic, i'tikaf means to stick to something and to uh, to basically stick to something and to to put yourself down in a particular place and keep to that place and stick to that place and to remain in that place and spend time in that place. That's what i'tikaf is in the language. So when you say somebody did i'tikaf at a particular place, it means he went there and he stuck to that place and he stayed in that place. That's i'tikaf. To stick to a place and to stay to a place. Uh, in the Quran, for example, in Surah Al-Anbiya, it is mentioned when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about Ibrahim alayhi salam, مَا هَذِهِ التَّمَاثِيلُ أَلَّتِي أَنْتُمْ لَهَا عَاكِفُونَ When Ibrahim alayhi salam said to his people, what are these figures and these statues that you people are doing? I'tikaf of that you people are akifun, you're doing i'tikaf with them. How were they doing i'tikaf with their statues? They would go there and they would stay there and they would sit there for hours and hours. So that's like they're doing i'tikaf now. They're going to the places of their statues and they're sticking to those places and they're staying in those places. That's i'tikaf. But ling- but Islamically, what's i'tikaf? Ammal i'tikaf is shar'a. فَهُوَ لُزُومُ مَسْجِدٍ لِطَاعَةِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَالتَّفَرُّغُ لِلْعِبَادَةِ It is to stick and to remain in a masjid for the purpose of the worship of Allah. That is the i'tikaf when we speak about i'tikaf. That you stick to a masjid, you remain in a masjid for the purpose of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to make yourself free from other worldly affairs to be able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to remain in that place to worship Allah. Um, that's with regards to i'tikaf linguistically and Islamically. With regards to qiyamul layl, qiyamul layl, standing in the prayers, here the night prayer, then that is something which is established in the Quran, in the Sunnah, and the consensus. It's mentioned in the Quran certain ayat about standing up and praying. Standing in the night prayer, for example, in the riyat, كانوا قليلا من الليل ما يهجعون وبالأسحار هم يستغفرون that there were very few of them who would uh, sleep. So this is uh, a type of encouragement within this surah, an ayah which explains about the standing up and praying in the night. Also, تتجافى جنوبهم عن المضاجع يدعون ربهم خوفا وطمعا ومما رزقناهم ينفقون. In Surah Sajda, again, it explains how they uh, leave their sides and their, their beds and they are calling upon Allah, etc. All of these indicate that they are praying the night prayer, the Qiyamul Layl. So that is something which is established in the Quran and the Sunnah. Similarly, i'tikaf, also proven in the Quran and the Sunnah and the consensus that i'tikaf is something which is permissible to do. So what's the first hadith which proves these things and we'll start talking about the issues of these two affairs. We have the hadith of Abu Huraira firstly that Al-Hafid ibn Hajari mentions. He says, Anna Rasulullah the hadith of Abu Huraira, Man qama ramadana imanan uhtisaban wufira lahuma taqaddama min dhanbihi muttafaqun alayh. Whoever 
stands in Ramadan, i.e. prays, the night prayers, imanan, with iman, wahtisaban, and seeking the reward of Allah, then that which has gone by from his sins will be forgiven. His previous sins will be forgiven. The one who stands in Ramadan praying the night prayers, the taraweeh, then that individual will have his sins forgiven. But there are conditions. He must pray those prayers, the night prayers, imanan. Imanan meaning he has certainty within Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Certainty in his creator, certainty in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, iman in this religion. He's doing it with that belief in his heart. And ihtisaban, meaning that he's doing it with the intention that he's doing it for the sake of Allah sincerely, desiring the reward of Allah. He wants the reward of Allah, not because he's showing off, not because someone's told him to just go and do it, but he's doing it with iman in his heart and with the desire for the reward from Allah. When a person does it that way, then it's mentioned, then his previous sins, they will be forgiven. The one who stands in the night prayer in that way. That means the sins that occurred even before Ramadan. That those sins that occurred even before Ramadan, they will be forgiven for that person. When he stands in the night prayer in that way. Again though, like we mentioned before, these hadith, they are talking about minor sins. Major sins are forgiven when you make repentance and seek forgiveness. You make the tawbah to Allah. You seek the forgiveness yourself, that's to forgive a major sin. Minor sins can be forgiven by these types of narrations that are mentioned. So a person who stands in the qiyam, he stands in the taraweeh, in the prayers in Ramadan as we've been praying, then a person who prays in that way, then his minor sins can be forgiven. So the Shaykh says, فَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ فِيهِ مَشْرُوعِيَةِ قِيَامِ رَمَضَانِ وَفَضْلِ ذَلِكَ وَأَنَّهُ مَطْلُوبُ قِيَامُ جَمِيعِ شَهْرِ The hadith therefore indicates that it is something which is upon the believers that they pray the taraweeh prayers. They pray the night prayers during Ramadan. And the hadith indicates whoever prays the whole of Ramadan, every single night he prays the night prayer, he's the one who will have his sins forgiven. Because the hadith says, مَنْ قَامَ رَمَضَانِ Whoever stands in the night prayer in Ramadan, i.e. the whole of Ramadan, not just one day or two days, whoever stands the whole of Ramadan in the night prayers, in the taraweeh, the tahajjud, the qiyamul layl, you know, these prayers, all the same thing. Whoever stands in those prayers during Ramadan with iman and desiring the reward of Allah for the whole month, then his sins will be forgiven. Prior to that, the minor sins. The other issue that Shaykh Saleh al-Fawzan mentions in this hadith is the issue of how many a person should pray in the taraweeh, in the tahajjud, in the qiyamul layl. Shaykh Saleh al-Fawzan, hafizahullah ta'ala, he states that in his opinion, as is the opinion of some of the scholars, that you can pray as many as you want for the taraweeh, for the tahajjud, for the night prayer. As Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan and some of the scholars have given the opinion that it is permissible to pray as many as you want. Whereas some of the scholars have said that it is not permissible to go beyond that which the Prophet ﷺ used to do, which was 11, and in some narrations 13. When you add on the 2, 4, Isha, etc., 
but no more than 13. It is not narrated from the Prophet ﷺ that he ever went beyond that. So some scholars say you should not go beyond that. But other scholars take the opinion that actually you can pray as many as you want. And Shaykh Salih al-Fawzani takes that opinion. And he says that it is not restricted to لَمْ يُحَدِّدْ إِحْدَ عَشَرَ رَكَعَةً أَوْ ثَلَاثَ عَشَرَ رَكَعَةً The Prophet Sallam, he says, did not restrict it to 11 or to 13. Rather, he left the issue open. So the Shaykh says, it is not befitting to say that it must be restricted to a particular number. This is the statement of Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan on this issue. As you know though, some of the scholars have indicated that actually it should be restricted to what the Prophet ﷺ restricted it to, that he used to pray 8 with the witr 11. And that is the opinion of some of the scholars, and that it should not go beyond that, because that was the action of the Prophet ﷺ. But here, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, in his explanation of Bulugh al-Maram, gives the opinion that it is permissible to go beyond that, and it is permissible to, exp- uh, uh, to uh, 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 recite in addition to 8 with the witr 11 to go beyond that. And the Shaykh gives the evidences that the A'rabi when he came to the Prophet ﷺ and he asked him, how do I pray? The Prophet ﷺ said to him, Mathna, Mathna, pray in twos, in twos. And he did not give him any limit as to how much he should pray. Similarly, the Shaykh uses the generality of this hadith, which it says, Man qama Ramadan, whoever stands in the night prayer in Ramadan. Again, the Shaykh says the hadith is general, it doesn't say to you the number that you have to pray every night, therefore indicating it's open. So that is an opinion that some of the scholars have mentioned, that you can uh, pray as many as you wish. But other scholars, as we have mentioned, have taken the opinion with strong evidences that you should not go beyond the 11, and as it's mentioned in some narrations, 13, but not to go beyond that. The next hadith, that was a hadith therefore which indicates the virtues of praying the night prayer. Whoever prays the night prayer, all of it during Ramadan, then all of his past sins are forgiven the minor sins. Next hadith, An Aisha radiyallahu anha qalat, kana Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idha dakhala al-ashru, ay al-ashru al-akhira, من رمضان شد مئزره وأحيا ليله وأيقظ أهله متفق عليه. In this hadith, Aisha رضي الله عنها says that when the last ten days used to come, when the last ten days of Ramadan used to come, شد مئزره that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he would شد مئزره means literally to tighten your clothing. What it means is that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to put in extra effort. In the last 10 days, the Prophet ﷺ used to put in extra effort. He used to put in extreme effort in worship in the last 10 days of Ramadan. He would put extra effort in and strive. And he would bring his night to life. How would you bring the night to life? I.e. that he would pray during the nights. Because praying in the night is bringing the night to life. And whoever sleeps at night, then it's as if his night is dead. That night is dead, he's asleep. But whoever gets up and prays, then it's as if that night is alive. So the Prophet ﷺ used to bring his night to life, meaning that he used to pray in those last ten nights. And he used to pray excessively in those last ten nights. He used to pray a lot in those last ten nights. In the last ten days and nights. <laughs> he used to pray more than he used to pray in the first twenty. This is another evidence that the Shaykh uses to say 
that you can pray more than 8 or 11 or 13. Because in this narration or in these evidences, it states that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray more in the last 10 than used to pray in the first 20. So there the Shaykh says, in that case, this is an evidence that you can go beyond 11 and beyond 13 in the last 10. So that is a proof that you can go beyond it. This is what the Shaykh mentions and some of the scholars who take the opinion that you can go beyond that number. Uh, so it's mentioned here that the Prophet ﷺ used to put extra effort in and strive more in the last 10 nights and exceed in his prayer in the last 10 nights. Um, some of the scholars, they will explain this too. The other scholars who take the opinion that you should not go beyond 8 or 11 with the witter, etc. They will say that the meaning of this, that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray more in the last 10 than the first 20, is that you can recite more. In each raka'ah, recite more. Maybe in the first 20, they used to recite a juz in each raka'ah, for example. Uh, exactly, you can read more and more in each raka'ah to make the prayer longer, but still not go beyond the 8 or the 11 with the witter. So this is the explanation, and this is uh, the difference that the scholars have mentioned on this issue. Uh, again, if we get time at some point, inshallah, we'll go into it in detail, mention what Shaykh al-Albani and the scholars have mentioned about not going beyond that number, but here some of the scholars using these evidences that say that you can go beyond that number. But here, that was the side point. The point here in reality is to uh, explain the virtues of praying the tahajjud and the taraweeh in the uh, Ramadan and particularly to stress that in the last 10 nights. Uh, also, there's an evidence in this hadith that it is befitting for a person to wake up his family. As the hadith it says, كَانَ يُوْقِذُ أَهْلَهُ وَأَيْقَضَ أَهْلَهُ he used to wake up his family. So a person who wakes up his family and he encourages them to pray, then that is something which is uh, of benefit and a reward for that person. And as for a person who leaves and abandons his family and allows them to sleep, then that is something which is not going to benefit. But rather the benefit and the reward is to get up and to pray in those last 10 nights particularly, and not to waste that time. And the Shaykh says some people, they waste their time, they go out to their markets and they sit and they talk, and they don't pray, especially in these last 10 nights, which are blessed. And uh, it's mentioned about how the Prophet ﷺ used to be extreme, used to, uh, not extreme rather, that's not the word to use. Rather, he used to be ex- uh, put extra effort in. He used to put in extra effort in those last 10 nights. Then, we have the hadith also of Aisha radiallahu anha, anna Nabi ﷺ kana ya'takifu al-ashra al-awakhira min Ramadan, حَتَّى تَوَفَّاهُ اللَّهُ ثُمَّ عَتَكَفَ أَزْوَاجُهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ مُنْتَفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ The Prophet ﷺ used to make i'takaf in the last 10 nights of Ramadan up until he died. Every year he used to make i'takaf in the last 10 nights of Ramadan up until he died. And then after that it's mentioned that his wives used to do the i'takaf also. So we'll come to the explanation of that now. This indicates that the Prophet ﷺ used to do the i'takaf in the last 10 nights. And this is something which has been made specific to the last 10 nights. It's also mentioned, كَانَ النَّبِيُّ He used to make i'tikaf in the 10 middle days. الْأَمْرِ That was at the beginning of the affair. At the beginning, initially, the Prophet ﷺ used to make i'tikaf in the middle 10 days. ثُمَّ عَلِمَ أَنَّ لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ فِي الْعَشْرَ الْأَوَاخِرِ فَنَقَلَ اعْتِقَافَهُ مِنَ الْعَشْرَ الْأَوْسَطِ إِلَى الْعَشْرَ الْأَوَاخِرِ then he found out that the Laylatul Qadr is in the last 10 nights. So therefore he changed his i'tikaf from the middle 10 to the last 10 as well. 
Because then he knew that the Laylatul Qadr was going to be in the last ten as well. And that's what he remained upon up until he died. He remained upon that affair of doing the i'tikaf in the last ten nights up until he died. وَالْإِعْتِكَافِ كَمَا سَبَقَ أَنِعْتِقَافِ اِعْتِكَافِ Rather, as we already mentioned, is to stick to the masjid and to refrain yourself to the masjid and to separate yourself from the worldly affairs, to recite the Qur'an, to pray, to be in the remembrance of Allah, in the obedience of Allah. That's what i'tikaf it is, to increase in your worship and to make yourself free of these other affairs, to concentrate and focus on your worship and to separate yourself in a place in the masjid to concentrate upon that. That's why the shaykh says, when a person is doing i'tikaf, it is not befitting that he is in the masjid doing the i'tikaf, but everybody is visiting him, and he's sitting and he's talking and he's relaxing and he's chatting. That is not what somebody in i'tikaf should be doing. Of course, it's permissible to talk. When you're in i'tikaf, it's permissible to talk to people, etc. But a person shouldn't make his i'tikaf a waste of time in that way. That all day, every day he has visitors, they come and see him, they come and sit with him and talk with him, etc. A person shouldn't be making his i'tikaf in that way. Rather, he should try to seclude himself. Only speak to people when necessary, when you need to, etc. Okay. But otherwise, not to waste his time in sitting with people during his day in i'tikaf. People come and visit him and he talks and he chats. That's not the purpose of i'tikaf or how i'tikaf should be done. But rather, you should try to seclude yourself in the masjid, concentrate and focus on the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then after that, that when the Prophet used to want to do i'tikaf, he used to pray fajr, and then he used to go and enter into the place of his i'tikaf. So he would begin i'tikaf after fajr. Hadith in al-Bukhari and muslim So this indicates that i'tikaf begins from the beginning of the day, فَإِنَّهُ صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يبدأه بعد صلاة الفجر. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to begin it after the fajr prayer. يعني من أول النهار. i.e. from the beginning of the day. And this is the sunnah. هذه هي السنة. Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan mentions this is the sunnah. وَلَوْ بَدَأَهُ مِنْ غَيْرِ أَوَّلِ النَّهَارِ And if a person began at some other time, not the beginning of the day, مِنْ وَسَطِ النَّهَارِ from the middle of the day, or مِنْ آخِرِ النَّهَارِ from the end of the day, or he begins at night. It's okay, all of that is permissible. But the best time to begin is from the beginning of the day as the Prophet ﷺ used to begin after Salat al-Fajr. That's what Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan mentions on that issue of beginning. But we have more details of this issue. In kana Rasulullah ﷺ la yudkhilu alayya ra'sahu wa huwa fil masjid فَأُرَجِّلُهُ وَكَانَ لَا يَدْخُلُ الْبَيْتَ إِلَّا لِحَاجَةً إِذَا كَانَ مَعْتَكِفًا مُتَّفَقًا عَلَيْهِ وَلَفْتِلِ الْبُخَارِ In this hadith, Aisha radiallahu anha, she says that the Prophet ﷺ, he used to put his head through from the masjid whilst he was in i'tikaf and that she used to comb his hair for him whilst he was in i'tikaf that he would put his head through the window etc and that she would comb his hair for him and that he would not enter home except for a necessity. If there was some need, some necessity, then he would enter into the home to leave the masjid 
But otherwise, no. This is what's mentioned in Sahih Bukhari with regards to this. So this indicates that somebody who's doing i'tikaf should remain in the masjid and not leave except if there is a need. أَنْ يَبْقَى فِي الْمَسْجِدِ وَلَا يَخْرُجُ مِنْهُ إِلَّا لِحَاجَةٍ لِمَا لَا بُدَّ لَهُ مِنْهُ كَقَضَاءِ حَاجَتِهِ وَوَضُوئِهِ أَوْ إِحْضَارِ مَا يَحْتَاجُ إِلَى إِحْضَارِهِ إِذَا لَمْ يَكُنْ عِنْدَهُ مَنْ يُحْضَرُ لَهُ حَوَائِجَةٍ The Shaykh says, if a person is in the masjid doing i'tikaf, then you should not leave except if there is some legitimate reason. For example, the use of the toilet. Imagine in that particular masjid, there are no toilet facilities. Okay, then you must leave the masjid to use the toilet facilities. Then come back. Or for example, to make wudu. There isn't a wudu area in the masjid, for example, where you're doing i'tikaf. Okay, then you must leave the masjid to do the wudu and come back. Or for example, to bring some things that you need if there is no one else to bring them for you. For example, you're doing i'tikaf and you need food to open your fast at iftar time. And you don't have anyone who can bring it for you. It's not possible for anyone to bring it for you. Okay, good. You are allowed to leave to go get some food for iftar and come back. Permissible. In those types of situations when there is a necessity that you need to go out to do something, then okay. But otherwise, then it is not befitting that an individual, he leaves from his i'tikaf casually, just wants to go home to relax for a while. That's not befitting. That's not what you should do in i'tikaf. Only if there's a need, then you leave to go and do that i'tikaf, and then you come back. The shaykh says, it's not permissible for you to just go home and relax and eat and drink, and then afterwards say, okay, I'll come back now and carry on. That's not the way i'tikaf should be done. The shaykh mentions the ayah from the Qur'an in Surah Al-Baqarah, وَأَنْتُمْ عَاكِفُونَ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ And you are doing your i'tikaf in the mosques. أَيْ مَا كِثُونَ فِيهَا The ayah means that you are remaining in there. لَا يَخْرُجْ مِنْهَا You don't leave from there. وَالدَّلَّ الْحَدِيثَ عَلَى عَنَّا إِخْرَاجِ بَعْدِ الْجِسْمِ مِنَ الْمَسْجِدِ لَا يَضُرْ But the hadith indicates if you were to take out a part of your body from the masjid, that's not a problem. That's not considered as you leaving. So for example, a person goes to the window and pokes his head out of the window for whatever reason to... for whatever the reason might be. If he does that, that's okay. That doesn't affect that person as the Prophet ﷺ used to do. He used to take his head out from the masjid and Aisha anha, she used to come and comb the hair of the Prophet ﷺ. So if a person was to take a part of his body out through the window etc to look out or something for reasons then that doesn't affect his i'tikaf. That's not considered as if he's left. That's not leaving. But leaving the problem is when you just go for no reason and go and sit and relax and come back. So this hadith indicates that a person must remain in the mosque when you're doing i'tikaf unless you have some particular reason to leave or if you were to take out a part of your body then that is okay too. And then in the hadith Aisha radiallahu anha mentions that the Prophet never used to come into the house except if there was some reason. If there was some legitimate reason, then okay. Otherwise, he would not do so. Like the Sheikh said, for example, if there were no toilets, etc., you have to leave 
then you can go and do that. But then as soon as you finish, you must return. Not to relax and to take time there and then return at a later point. Rather, you come back as soon as that need is finished. The next hadith, وَعَنْهَا قَالَتْ أَسْسُنَّةُ عَلَى الْمُعْتَكِفِ أَنْ لَا يَعُودَ مَرِيضًا وَلَا يَشْهَدَ جَنَازَةً وَلَا يَمَسَّ مْرَأَةً وَلَا يُبَاشِرَهَا وَلَا يَخْرُجُ لِحَاجَةٍ إِلَّا لِمَا لَا بُدَّ لَهُ مِنْهُ وَلَا اعْتِكَافَ إِلَّا بِصَوْمٍ وَلَا اعْتِكَافَ إِلَّا فِي مَسْجِدٍ جَامِعٍ This hadith is speaking about some of the rulings about the one who's doing i'tikaf also. And there are several issues within it. Issues regarding a person is not allowed to visit a poor person, um, a sick person. You're not allowed to leave i'tikaf to visit a sick person. It mentions it is not permissible to engage in intimate contact. Uh, And there are some other things which are mentioned too about the type of masjid it must be in. And also whether you must be fasting or not. So there are several issues. And in fact, inshallah, we'll start with that one next time. We'll start with this particular hadith next time and those several issues within it. And we'll finish off the chapter next time. There's only maybe six, seven hadith left. And so that will be the chapter of fasting finished. And then we can carry on from where we were in Tahara. So one more lesson, inshallah, on Siyam, because otherwise we'll be rushing it today now. One more lesson properly to finish off Kitab al-Siyam next time. What's left of the chapter of I'tikaf and Taraweeh. And that will be the conclusion of the whole of the chapter of Ramadan, I think. In about 10 or 12 lessons, I think we've done the whole chapter of Ramadan, roughly. So, inshallah, that will be the end of that next lesson, inshallah.